0: Welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. Today is February 13th. And today we're going to look at Genesis 44. As a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible, so today Genesis 44, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading today from Genesis 44. And then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. And now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my lord drinks, and by this that he practices? Divination, you have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said, "Why does my lord speak words such as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we uh, steal silver or gold from your lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found uh, with it shall die, and we also will be my lord's servants." He said, "Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent." And then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. And when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground, and so Joseph said to him, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. And then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my lord, please let your servant speak a word in my lord's ears, and let it not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. He alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may may set my eyes on him. We said to my lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went back to your servants, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face until our youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. And now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us then, as his life is bound up with this boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety to the boy, to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. And now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is a reading today from Genesis 44. You see, when it comes down to it, there's but one question every person must ask themselves. Will I recognize God's authority as supreme, or will I try to throw off the Creator's restraints and lay claim to sovereignty? In other words, will we bow the knee to the Lord gladly, or will we refuse to submit? We know that Adam tried to supplant divine authority and plunge the whole human race into sin, wherein all of us are born as children of wrath, as we've seen in Genesis 3 and as we'll see in Romans five, twelve 12-21. But God was gracious and he promised to do the work necessary to make for himself friends and servants from some of Adam's children. The Creator said there would one day be a people obedient to his precepts in Genesis 3.15 and as we'll see in Jeremiah 31, 31-34. This people includes men like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and even Jacob, who by their sins showed that they could never even merit the righteousness that God requires, but had to lean upon the grace of God alone. And still, the inevitable fruit of trusting the Lord for salvation is a life that increasingly conforms to the Almighty's holy law. And although they will struggle with sin and death, believers repent and press forward towards the goal that God has set for His people in Christ. Now, Jacob's son Joseph understood these truths very well. He knew that his brothers must repent and obey if they were to be the Lord's people. Their crime of selling him into slavery because they were jealous of him, as we saw in Genesis thirty-seven twenty-five 25-28, did not automatically bar them from the promises of God. They would have been forever lost if they, evidenced in an unchanged life, refused to serve God through an utter lack of faith. Well, happily then, Joseph saw their newness of heart when when they did not envy the favored position that he gave to Benjamin, as we saw in chapter 43. And yet Joseph could see the hearts of his brothers, and he further pressed them, looking for proof of their transformed hearts. And since they had been disloyal to God, God's people, when they betrayed him, Joseph thought he might discern the state of his brother's souls by testing their loyalty to Benjamin. Our chapter today describes how Joseph initiated this test to see if their repentance was genuine. You see, the Lord our God puts us to the test so that we may reveal to others the true commitments of our hearts. So God knows in advance the outcome of any test that he gives us, but we are not to dwell on this truth. Instead, we are to seek his aid that we might show our submission to his will and past any test that he sends our way. Today, you're going to be faced with the choice to trust and to follow Christ or to sin against the Lord. You must trust the Lord's grace as revealed in his word to pass the test. Having set in motion his plan to see if his brother's hearts have changed, Joseph sends his steward to find the silver cup planted in Benjamin's sack in chapter uh, the first five verses of our chapter today. And when he overtakes Jacob's servants, the steward does as Joseph ordered and charges them with the theft of Joseph's special vessel in verse 6. Now, the prize cup resembled what we might call a bowl. It's said to be an instrument through which Joseph, as the Pharaoh's trusted advisor, practices divination in verse 5. Now, drawing conclusions about the future from liquids such as water or oil, it was a common practice in the ancient world, and it ought to trouble us that Joseph seemingly claims to divine the future, especially since such practices are condemned in the Word of God in Deuteronomy eighteen nine through 14 And yet, given the record of his holy character, it, it's unlikely that Joseph engaged in this forbidden art. It may have just been part of his clever stunt, for in professing to be a sooth Joseph continues to hide his true identity from his brothers and shows them why he can be so sure of their guilt when they protest their innocence in verses 6-8 through eight of our chapter today. After all, a man who can read the future should be able to discover the identity of those who took his precious cup. And yet the brothers are so sure of their innocence that they pronounce a death sentence upon the one who possesses a cup in verse 9. Actually, the verdict they pronounce upon themselves is more appropriate than they realize since the law given at Mount Sinai prescribes execution for kidnapping in exodus 21 16 and this crime against joseph must be confessed if there's ever going to be a reconciliation well in any case the brothers show that they have changed when they all tear their clothes once the cup is found in benjamin's sack in verses 10 through 14 or 10 through 13 of our chapter today and when joseph was lost only jacob and reuben tore their clothes as we see in genesis 37 29 through 35 but now all of them out of loving fidelity to Benjamin and Jacob mourn the loss of their younger brother. This all forms the perfect setup of Joseph's brothers. Soon they will have a chance to betray Benjamin just as they betrayed Joseph and prove whether or not the spirit now lives and dwells in them. Well, Jacob's sons speak without thinking when they call for death upon the one who possesses Joseph's cup such behavior is truly foolish as seen in god's command to be slow to speak in james 1:19 and many other biblical texts you see if we do not choose our words carefully and consider the effects they might have not only will they be rightly ostracized will we be rightly ostracized i mean we will also get ourselves into all sorts of other unintended troubles endeavor with god's help to speak with great care Now, in Genesis 42 through 44, it reveals that God used Joseph's examination of his brothers to make them recall their sin and even to admit their guilt. Their first meeting with him included a stay in prison, just as they had dropped their brother into a pit in Genesis 3718 24 That made them finally admit to one another the maltreatment of Joseph in Genesis 42, 6-23. And then on their way back to Canaan, Jacob's sons had that eerie experience of finding the money that was supposed to be in Egypt's coffers on the top of the grain of their sacks in verses 26-28 already spooked by their stay in prison, they began to see the Lord's hand amidst in their journey in verse twenty eight. And when they went back to the land of Nile with Benjamin, they found themselves no longer under Joseph's accusations, and said they were his honored guests in Genesis forty three, sixteen through thirty four. This unexpected turns of events, it demonstrated their precarious position, especially when Joseph changed his mind again and charged him with the theft after they had left his house in verses 1-13 through 13 of our chapter today. Now powerless, these men were left unable to surmise whether they would be in the Pharaoh's good graces. These strange events could not be mere coincidences; as they thought, and so they saw the hand of God in this event as it unfolded. The brothers fall before Joseph and confess their guilt in our chapter today. An Egyptian onlooker might think that they are owning up to the theft of the silver cup, but since they were not actually guilty of that crime, they are clearly confessing their past sins. They do not know Joseph himself is accusing them, and the strange similarity of being trapped in the land of the Nile just as they sold uh, Joseph into Egyptian bondage is too much for them to bear. Everyone they met must be agents of the Almighty. His hand is against them just as their hand was against Joseph, as you see in verses 14 through 16 of our chapter today. And years after their crime, Jacob's son had finally shown contrition for their sin. Now, the brothers see that they can do nothing to save themselves. They admit as much when they offer themselves to Joseph as servants and beg him to show mercy in verse 16. And this pictures how we must uh, despair of our own efforts when we come before God, as we see in Luke 18, 9-14. You see, sometimes we, we go through periods where nothing seems to go our way. This does not always mean the Lord is pointing out a need to repent and unconfessed sin, as he did with Joseph's brothers. And yet, it's wise in uncertain times to search our hearts and see whether we have sin that has not been addressed, since God may bring trials our way in order to bring us to repentance. Is there unconfessed sin in your life this day? Then repent and do as 1 John one nine says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now Joseph must have had hope that his brothers had become servants of the Lord when they, they came before him in torn garments in verses 13-14 through 14 of our chapter today. After all, this gesture indicated their sorrow over the potential loss of Benjamin, implying that they were not happy to desert him like they were to abandon Joseph in chapter thirty seven. His brothers' confession of their sin in verse sixteen of our chapter it gave more proof of their repentance, and yet their hearts were invisible to Joseph, and this is why he did not accept the offer to make all of them his slaves. Instead Joseph said he was willing to take only Benjamin and let the rest go free in verse seventeen, thereby putting the brothers in a situation similar to the one they were in years before. Now, they profited from the sale of Joseph, the favored son, into slavery, and with Benjamin they were offered the chance to win their freedom at his expense. Whether or not they chose to profit themselves in the Pharaoh's court would show the true state of their souls. And having served as the brother's spokesman once before in verses 14-17, through 17, now Judas stepped forward again to reply to Joseph's offer, as we are looking at in this chapter today. Imagine how conflicted Joseph must have felt when staring Judah in the eyes, face-to-face, man-to-man. This man convinced, convinced Jacob's other sons to sell Joseph into slavery and all the misery that ensued in the land of the Nile in Genesis thirty-seven twenty-six 26-28. Would Joseph obey God's command to love his enemies, especially if they show remorse for their sin, as Luke six thirty-five says? Truly, his faith was tested during our chapter today." And what ensues is the longest its the most impassionate speech in Genesis. Now notice Judah shows that he has made peace with the fact that Jacob loves Rachel's sons more than Leah's. He repeatedly mentions the special affection that his father has for Benjamin in genesis forty four twenty and genesis forty four twenty seven through twenty nine and appeals to it so that the boy may go free in verses thirty through thirty four. The fatherly favoritism that earlier sparked brotherly hatred is now the very ground upon which Judah stands to secure Benjamin's release. Jacob may not love Judah as much, but Judah does not simply let this stand in the way of the Lord's demand that he honor his father, as we see in Exodus 20.12. Like he did when he callously abandoned Joseph in slavery. Now, some of us have had parents who loved a brother or a sister more than they loved us. Some may let this fester into bitterness, leading them to neglect their duty to honor their parents or love their siblings. And yet, even if our families were not all like this, all of us have experienced feelings of rejection and exclusion. This too can fester into bitter anger. Confess today any resentment that you may hold against God or others and know that the Lord loves you. As 1 John one nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and justified forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, John uh, Calvin comments upon Judah's speech in Genesis 44, saying, It is a sign of no uncommon filial piety that Judah wished himself to be put in Benjamin's place, and to undergo perpetual exile and servitude, rather than convey to the miserable old man tidings, which would be the cause of his very destruction. And so, in our chapter today, Judah concludes this plea for Joseph to have mercy by offering to take the place of Benjamin in Egyptian servitude in verses 30 through 34 of our chapter today. And as we've seen, this offer is based on Judah's loathing to see his father mourn again like he did when Joseph was lost. And through all the brothers show repentance for the way they had treated Joseph when they knelt before him in verse 14, it is Judah who stands out as the godliest of them all. Only the irresistible work of the Holy Spirit can explain such a transformation in Judah's life. It may have taken years and years for him to get to this point, but the Spirit's sanctifying work, seen in its beginning stages when Tamar convicted Judah of his selfishness in Genesis 38, it shows his profound result and fruit in the face of danger in Egypt. And having been humbled and put in his place by Tamar, Judah now willingly puts himself last, revealing a self-sacrificial love that will give up everything so that his father, who might never love him as he does benjamin will not grieve truly as matthew henry writes judah surpasses all his brothers in boldness and wisdom and eloquence and especially tenderness for their father and family and yet it is in being willing to lose everything that judah achieves greatness for he will receive jacob's greatest blessing to rule over the nation of israel in genesis 49 8 through 12 judah's bold selfless and sacrificial love is a model for the nation and its later kings who being sinners are nevertheless able to exhibit such qualities if they are led by the spirit and in giving up his life judah actually finds it such as the way of our heavenly father as john twelve twenty five tells us and still there is one greater than judah we must say one who had no sin and did not need to be convicted of his transgression to put him in his place christ jesus judah's greatest son gave up his life for our sake in our place only be raised to new life and glory as we see in philippians 2 5 through 11 In fact, Matthew 16.25 says, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And if we're not martyred for the faith, we are to give our lives over to Jesus Christ. This may mean having your children frown upon you when you demand they, they keep from doing whatever everybody else is doing. Or it may mean that you must speak forthrightly concerning a friend's behavior, even if you might lose the friendship. Will you lay down your life for Christ this day? Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 13th, and we've looked at Genesis 44. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.